You are listening to the Swim Not Sink Leadership Podcast, the show for first-time leaders, for that moment in your career when the buck stops with you. This is your window into the world of how to lead successfully. Now, over to your host, James Nagel. So welcome to the latest episode of the Swim Not Sink Leadership Podcast, the show for first-time leaders. I'm your host, James Nagel, and my guest today is Mark O'Donnell. Mark is a managing partner at Odgers Bernstein in Ireland. There's two parts to his job. He specializes in the search and appointment of senior leaders, and he assists clients to assess and develop their talent. He's the author of a book on succession planning and guest lectures at the Smurfit Business School at University College Dublin. So it's my pleasure to introduce Mark O'Donnell. Hi, Mark. Hi, James. How are you? So, Mark, you have done it all. You know, you've been a headhunter for many years. You've written the book, as I mentioned, and now you've done your own transition because in the last 12 months, you've taken over the lead role at Odgers. So how has that changed your attitude to the challenges facing the first time leaders that you deal with? I suppose I've walked uh, the walk really myself, which I think gives me more credibility and overall experience when I'm talking to first time leaders and the clients who are engaging me to assist first-time leaders. Um, A couple of things really stood out for me in my transition. For example, one of them was the importance of um, the person you're taking over from, uh, whether they're staying in the business or they're maybe going to board level, or even if they're leaving the business, just how they can help your transition into the new role, not just from a practical point of view such as this is how I do this and this is how I do that and this is how we run the finances etc but really more uh, the nuances and certainly in my case the person I took over from is still in the business leading our board practice and he's been fantastic to smooth my transition in that he's made it subtle but clear that there is a new leader and he's fully supportive of it. And you've been at Odgers and before that Amrup for a while and you were at the top table, but now you're sitting in the in the hot seat. So where are you spending your time differently than before? I think I think it's interesting. I often wondered about this, you know, when I, because we um, practiced what we preach. So we had a year long transition uh, for me to take over, um, which was great. So I got to understand the practical elements of the leadership role. But obviously, for the latter six months before I took over, I was trying to think, how would I spend my time and how different would it be? What I have found is that I'm still doing probably 70% delivery at the moment, which is assisting clients in either headhunting or on our assessment development side. But certainly 30% of my time is on strategy. Uh, and particularly the time we're in now, that's been really interesting, trying to vision out what the future is going to look like. Um, and also considerable amount of time in just running the business which actually I find very empowering personally. And the question I, I, I'm really keen to ask you is, how has your own experience changed the way you look at the internal versus external debate? Because you've just explained that your internal process was quite smooth, it was well-planned, etc. Could Could someone coming from outside have transitioned as well as you have? Uh, they, they probably could have because we would have planned it. However, just to what we would say as headhunters, certainly in Odgers here, would be that, you know, and a candidate externally needs to be 20% better than an internal candidate to be considered. So we will always say as part of our succession planning work we do with clients, which I do a lot of, 
that, you know, it's always preferable to have an internal candidate, actually. Now, as part of session planning, you should always be scanning the external market. So therefore, your relationship with the headhunter should, should be a partnership. So whatever role comes up, you are scanning the external market to see what's out there. However, the benchmark should be your internal candidates and the external should be considerably better than the internal because of the lag time and the potential for failure is undoubtedly higher with the external than the internal. So we would actually always recommend to clients that they should have a robust, clear succession planning process because the chance of derailment is much slimmer than you get from the outside. Now, when we take people in from the outside on behalf of clients, we do our absolute utmost to make sure they're assessed as best we can for a myriad of different things, cultural fit, technical competence, personal spirit. But overall, for us, succession planning uh, and internal is always preferable than an external. In, in terms of, you know, the learning for me, again, would be just the time that should go into it to have a successor, be it external or internal. Okay, uh, there's some interesting points there, especially about the the, the hard metric, 20% better. When you, when you bring in someone from outside, uh, from all your experience, what would you say the success rate is of externals? I would say overall, probably um, 80%. I suppose, James, it, it, it's what does success look like? You know, it's hard to measure. Is it very much kind of bottom line focused or profitability or is it more integration? Uh, I, I would say generally for us, one of our key metrics in our search practice is uh, our success is someone still in situ and prospering after a year. We're lucky in that, you know, we probably do 60 searches a year and maybe one of those only would would, would not be there a year later, which is very high success rate. Um, and for us, really, it is about the cultural integration uh, and have the proven as leaders and galvanize the team around them. The harder metrics are hard to get. But if I was to say overall, I would say probably 80, 85 percent would be considered really successful. Yeah, that's that's, let's say, surprisingly positive to me. My experience on how I would define it is someone who not just has moved to the new role, but has been promoted within that new company. So we're talking maybe a three year time frame because that demonstrates truly that they've been through let's say, at least a mini business cycle mm. and they, they've built all the network. But but regardless of the actual number, you know, you mentioned per, what you're looking for and where where you focus your efforts on how you'll present them to, to the client. So do you want to talk a little bit about the personal spirit you mentioned? And then we will, of course, a personal spirit it really is around the development piece. So how do they mind themselves? How have they minded their career? How focused are they on developing as people and as professionals. And that piece is increasingly becoming more important from our perspective. And it's something that we preach to our clients. And oftentimes, you know, when, when it's a dead heat between two candidates, the personal spirit will actually be the separator. So it's something that we would put a lot of stock in. And it's very, very important. So we'd spend a lot of questioning time around an individual's reasons for taking a certain career move, um, you know, and how they've developed themselves. There's many things people can do. They can classically, they can go off and do the MBA. They can look for stretch assignments. What are the stretches or personal development efforts that have most impressed you? Well, I, 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 I think all of those and more. I suppose for us, it's it's individual, really, to an extent. So, I generally a best in class approach will de- will have something like an MBA, definitely. We'll have one or two smaller strategic, maybe week-long courses. 
um, and then we'll have something that they're doing themselves outside. A kind of a best-in-class one will look like that. Also, what's in that, James, though, is the concept of curiosity. You know, what are they doing outside of, of their professional work from a curiosity perspective to develop themselves as people? And that's something we'll delve into as well. And that all goes to the personal spirit piece. Yeah, no, I, I love the idea of curiosity. I'm also conscious that people don't know what they don't know, right? So yeah. even even taking your case before you took over the role, there, there will be surprises. And and in our earlier conversation, you had mentioned, you know, you'll prepare a whole dossier based on all the interviews and psychometrics. Um, yeah. But that, that is not often used. Do you want to talk a, a bit about that? Because that sounds like there's a missed opportunity there, both for the candidate and for the... Uh, hiring side yeah yeah no very much so i i, I think and it, it's something that we would put a lot of work into that dossier and that dossier just 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 for listeners really is 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 basically a uh, cv document a profile detailed notes in the interview psychometric interpretation and the raw psychometric results and really too much of our I suppose, annoyance or sadness, you know, we'll give that to the client. And oftentimes then once the person's hired, it's put away. We'll actually put a lot of time into that document talking about development areas, watch out areas, red flag areas, areas to probes, and of course, key strengths. So really what we then try and do is, as part of our overall services, we try and say, look, you've picked your person, take this document and make it a live document and make it a personal development plan for the onboarding process. So for six months, use the data that we have, which you've paid for, uh, both our time and efforts, uh, and we've worked with you on it, and use it going forward. So unfortunately, not a lot of people use it. Is that available to the candidate? Because the interesting thing is there's an element of people are too polite or they're just happy to get the job and they don't necessarily want to look backwards. But as you said, there's derailers, there's potential you know, uh, limiting areas. It would be great if the candidate themselves knew what those were. So are they, do they have access to that, that uh, file or not? Well, I, d- I think it, it, when you talk about personal spirit, the good candidates will always ask, right? So, so they will always ask for the data. Can you help me with it? Can, can you give me a, um, a view of what it was? So first of all, they will always, the good ones will always do that. And I would always encourage candidates to do that because even if you're unsuccessful, you'll learn from it. And that's really where the value will come if you're unsuccessful. If you're successful, the good ones will immediately say, look, can I get sight of it? Can I talk to you about it? To, to answer your question, yes, they do. I mean, our own view ethically here is that if someone commits their time and effort to do a psychometric assessment, we owe them and we're bound to give them an interpretation of that assessment. Now, it'll depend on the client, however, what exactly we will give them. And as I said, the better ones will then want to dig in further with me in relation to the output. Now, what I will generally do is I will talk about the output in terms of their development needs as opposed to why they didn't get the job because other factors come into play there. Yeah, so I think that's maybe the, the key takeout of the whole conversation for, for a candidate who, who who wants to succeed. It's to ask for that and the, and the good ones and to know that the good ones do. They so, always do. They yeah. always do. So that's from the candidate side. From the recruiter side, I mean, they have, you know, engaged you. So they're willing to spend the money. They're willing to invest. They know the importance. What are the reasons why they don't actively use that to, as you say, prepare the development plan and and, and really help someone at what, what is such a high stakes move? 
I, I, I think time and effort, uh, truthfully, is probably the reason, James. You know, it, it, it's it's a kind of a case of we've got the job done. We've hired the guy or girl. She's starting in three months. Kind of, you know, put your hands together and, and we move on. And then, you know, probably three or four weeks before the person due to start, the onboarding team within the HR team cranks up and sends stuff out and gets some data back in and thinks of an onboarding plan. So that tends to be, and the, the disconnect can happen, particularly larger clients with big HR departments, that the talent acquisition team, or when we're dealing with very senior hires, the most senior HR director will have the job done. He or she has moved on to something else, and the onboarding team doesn't really connect back up. So they may not even know how the person came in, even if it's CEO level. Some of our better clients be very uh, will be very sure to make sure that that it's used. But overall, disconnection, kind of job done and other things to do, I would say. So maybe to tie together what the good companies do and what you've also experienced yourself in terms of when a move and a, and a promotion works well, what would be the key elements? Uh, maybe talking from your own personal case first. I think the key lesson for me is is just time and, and effort and planning. So, and that would equate to any of our clients on the internal candidate side is, you know, identifying, you know, in my case, you know, it was identified as someone who's going to take over. Uh, we had a year long plan. I would have met with Damien, who was our previous managing partner, once a month for uh, two hours. And we had a specific conversation about taking over and then just being conscious of, learning as you go about how the business runs and how the job is done. So really time and effort and planning. Uh, and that would equate to our clients as well. I mean, the thing that the clients need to do, though, is the identification, James, and that shouldn't be, um, you know, brushed over, is constantly looking at your internal talent landscape. And that's something that isn't done enough at all. So really is constantly looking, in, you know, and looking three years out, you know, is that individual who are, who are identifying as high potential now, is he or she potentially be CEO or CFO or marketing director or whatever the role is? How far away are they? And what are we doing to develop them? And looking at that every six months. When you take over the new job, you're expected to bring new thinking. And when you described your own transition plan, it was quite internal. Yeah. What were the things or the supports you had to get you thinking, to give you an outside perspective, so that you were not just CMAs, because that's rarely acceptable. <laughs> yeah. what, what, what were the stimulations you had to give you the fresh thinking, to challenge what was currently being done, et cetera, which by nature, the existing person finds hard to do? Yeah. No, I was very lucky, James. By nature of, I suppose, the work we do, I've got a huge network. And I was and I was very lucky. So I, I suppose, and I'm curious anyway myself. So I was kind of buzzed and engaged about taking over and kind of imagining what we would do and what we could do differently. So really, I was motivated to seek out what other firms were doing and what's coming down the track in our overall business and professional services at large. And then also, I was lucky enough, my network includes people like Brendan Jennings, who would have been former CEO of Deloitte here, and people like that. So I would have reached out to them and met them and said, you know, how do they do it? What are they doing? What do they see coming? So I really would have used my network to put myself in the kind of leader's shoes. Now, I'm sure some of the listeners are listening to you and go, my God, he had a one year lead in. You know, yes. that is that is really the, the yeah. ideal. Yeah. And um, if you had to compress it and you had to look at what are the supports which helped your own personal ranking, because everyone will have a different opinion on this. I think probably the ranking in this order, probably the sitting with the previous managing partner was probably number one. I think number two 
was probably support of the other leaders in the business in that it was made known to them I was taking over. And then the third thing would have my coaching. So I have a fantastic coach, absolutely amazing lady. And she's someone who really helped particularly. So I would have reached out to her in my career probably three to four times where I would have had probably six to eight sessions. And this particular um, series of sessions was six months prior to taking over was really how am I going to manage myself? What am I going to do differently? How am I going to rebadge myself, for want of a better word, internally and to a lesser extent externally? And then the fourth piece would have been the external networks. I think that was very valuable as well. Great. I, I really like the rebadging idea, especially when you're an internal. Uh, yes. So if I talked to the other partners in Audgers and said, how has Mark differed uh, from the man he is today than he was maybe two years ago? They um, would probably say I've got more reflective, more um, rounded in my thinking, uh, I would think, uh, would be the two things. And, you know, the reflective piece comes from, I think, I, I think when, when you're a partner with your own service line on P&L, you, you can you can keep going and be energetic and you can be very instinctive. I think what I've been trying to do is step back and look and learn and kind of strategize. Okay. And and maybe that's a harder question. Maybe I'll ask you the, the more direct one, which is in your control, which is when you were working with your coach and you identified the need that you needed to rebadge, it couldn't be the same. Of the things which you identified then, how good have you been at doing what you said you would do back, whatever, six, nine months ago? Yeah, I, I, I've been good, but she's been very good at holding me to account as well. So, you know, what I asked her this time was that I want her to be a coach and also a mentor. And, you know, the difference, as we both know, really, is the coach will hold the mirror up, really, whereas the mentor a bit, bit more directive. So I asked her, you know, I want her to keep me on track. So I want her to quasi be a mentor as well. So that's definitely helped. But I've been quite successful, to be honest with you. So that reflective piece was something I wanted to work on. That being more strategic piece was something I wanted to work on. And that's even things like, you know, she started me doing meditation uh, and taking some time out. And that's been very, very useful. I, I would say for my implementation, what I said I do, I'm 90% there. It's always a work in progress. And, uh, you know, I'm going to check back in with her again at the end of the year. From my side, the two big things I've taken out are, number one, your comment that the smart people ask for it. And that can be in any area. They're the yes. proactive ones. And I really, yes. I really would underline that one. And the second one was curiosity. Curiosity, because when you've got the curiosity, it gives you all the ideas. It generates and it energizes. Is there anything else in terms of an advice, either an advice point, either to clients or to candidates in terms of what you advise them when they're making the transition? So what I would say to clients is plan. I would say plan, 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 and use the data then. In regard, if you're working with a search firm or with your internal talent acquisition team, all the data points they have is very useful for success for onboarding a candidate from the external in particular. For, for, for the candidate side, I would say show the personal spirit, show the motivation, show the engagement. Uh, it's really, really important because it will separate you. If it's close, quite frankly, it will separate you. I cannot tell you how many times I've sat with clients at the most senior level where they said, you know what, we'll give it to Mary 
because you know what? She wanted it more. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've been on the other side where they said you didn't look like you wanted it enough. So but but what will build to that picture, it's not just saying I want the job. What will build to that picture is the things like personal spirit, why you want it, your career journey, how much time you put into yourself, the development. So that piece is very important to pull out uh, and to accentuate. Perfect. Mark, thanks very much for your time. No problem, James. Thanks very much. Anytime. You've been listening to the Swim Not Sink Leadership Podcast. Subscribe at swimnotsink.com forward slash podcast.